0: Good to be here. So for many years, I had a scripture pinned on my office wall. And um, scripture was this. It was John 14 and 12. Light's going on yet? If anyone has faith in me, Jesus said, he will do the works that I do and greater works than these because I go to the Father. You know, I used to look at that every day and I'd say, man, I hope I live to see that. And one day it dawned on me that this was not like something to be looked at and hope would happen. It was something to make happen. Because <laughs> the, key, the key thing was not the scripture. The key thing was Jesus said, if you have faith in me, you can do what I did. Yes. So now I read the scriptures and I, I, when I read the Gospels, I read a story about how Jesus reached out and touched somebody and they were instantly healed. And I think, I can do that. I can do that. Because Jesus said I can do it. Um, Everybody that came to Jesus got healed. So that's my goal. Everybody that comes for healing goes away healed. If you start there, then you think, oh, oh, yeah, right. You know, the old yeah, right story. Um, But you take it incrementally. So... um, What's my strike rate like? What's your strike rate like? I mean, that's the, that's the language I use these days. What's, what's, what's my strike rate like at seeing people get healed when I minister to them? Well, it depends on what they come for. If it's neck, shoulders, backs, so I'm probably up 70 80%. Other staff, uh, no. Okay, so um, don't, don't be put off by the fact that Jesus, Jesus healed everyone that came to him, and that's what he wants us to do. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church of God in our city, that everybody who came to the church of God, sick or injured, walked out healed? Yes. Because in that, that way, we replicate the ministry of Jesus. That's our job. Our job is to replicate the ministry of Jesus. Um, so if we're replicating the ministry of Jesus, then I want to, I want to know how Jesus did it. So I've soaked myself in the gospel stories. How did Jesus do it? Read the stories. Read between the lines. Read the various gospel stories, and you'll find out how he did it. And, 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 you know, he never prayed for the sick. Did you know that? He never told us to pray for the sick. You know what he told us to do? Heal the sick. See, there's a big difference, isn't it? If he told us to pray for the sick, then my job's done once I've said the prayer. If he told us to heal the sick, then my job's not done until they're healed. Now, I don't go and lie awake at night staring at the ceiling about the ones that didn't happen, because that's not productive. But it is a focus to see the presence of God released uh, increasingly in the supernatural. So Jesus healed with touch. Sometimes he didn't say anything. Just touched. Jesus healed with voice. So sometimes that was the the voice of command, uh, the voice of rebuke. You know, so it says he Peter's mother-in-law says he rebuked the fever. Doesn't say it was a demon, but it was like he responded as though it was a demon. He rebuked the voice of command. Pick up your bed, walk, stretch out your hand. All of those stories. Are things that teach us the way about the way that Jesus, Jesus healed. So, and sometimes He just spoke. He spoke over a distance. Uh, I was um, last year was preaching in another church, and this um, woman—it's actually the pastor's wife. She'd been up in uh, Laos or Vietnam or somewhere, and she had—I can't remember what the issue was—something wrong with her. legs. i would just been talking about power and authority. So I said to her, you know, this is having a bit of fun, saying, so, do you want to be healed with power or do you want to be healed with authority? She saw it for a moment. She says, authority. So I spoke to her ankles and she got healed because that's the exercise of authority, whereas the hands are the vehicles of power. Sorry, I'm teaching now, aren't I? This is like <laughs> not what I'm here for. But um, that, that scripture in John 14 is like my foundation stone. Because when stuff doesn't happen, uh, I can become discouraged and say, well, didn't happen. hasn't happened for a while. Maybe it's not true. I've got to decide where I'm going to put my trust. Am I going to put my trust in what I see with my eyes that a person doesn't get healed? Or am I going to put my trust in the Word of God that says, if you have faith in me, you can do what I did? So one of the, one of the journeys that we've had to journey through is coping with failure to see what you know God wants to happen and deciding where uh, where you're going to focus. Are you going to focus on the fact of the matter, the person didn't get healed, or are you going to focus on the truth of the matter that God says, Jesus says, um, you can do what I did and greater works? Actually, I was having a conversation with God in the early days about, um, about the greater works bit. You know, and and so I said, I think I'll just stick with doing what you did and and we'll leave the rest. And he says, read the scripture again. (laughs) I don't know what the greater thing is. But um, uh, my goal is to do what Jesus did and heal the sick. So we've had a a journey. Um, My um, eldest daughter, um, she got... um, a uh, metastasized um, melanoma in her brain. So she'd had melanoma removed from her back five years previously, and they said they'd got it all, and um, then in 2012 she got sick, and they discovered that it was there were tumors right through her brain and down her spine. And um, we did everything that we knew what to do. We spoke to it in Jesus' name. We rebuked it in Jesus' name. We laid hands on in Jesus' name, and she passed away. And um, so, for for us, it, it was it was it wasn't a challenging time in the sense that uh, we were tempted not to pursue, but it was a pause. It was like, okay, um, where do we go with this? So again, that point we had to decide. Uh, are we going to pursue what Jesus said we could do? Or am I going to be distracted by a failure, a big failure? It was our daughter, it was our eldest daughter. Um, we didn't get what we prayed for. We didn't get what we ministered to her for. But we had her living with us at home for four months, and uh, those were the most amazing four months of the 42-year journey that we had with her before she died. Just the presence of God. She came to peace with herself. Um, She said uh, on one or two occasions, uh, I'm scared, Dad. What are you scared of? I'm not scared of dying. I'm scared of the uncertainty of what the journey is when I get there, if I if I go through that journey to die. And um, so there were positive things that came out of her living with us and us ministering to her with everything that we knew. But I would be kidding you if I said I'm satisfied with that. I want to say to you, you can't minister to somebody and nothing happen. Even if it's not what you're going after, something will happen because that's the God we serve. He is a God who will do the things that we ask him or will 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 break in to circumstances even if we don't get the outcome that we're after. One of the things that my daughter did, um, you know, we had to journey with her through this... Um, this... Um, period of time when we were praying and expecting and hoping and ministering, healing into her body and then saying to her, you really need to write your will. My lawyer said to me, in these circumstances, you hope for the best and you prepare for the worst. But in her will, she left a substantial sum of money saying to, if I don't survive, and I want to sow this money into the healing ministry. So that was tens of thousands of dollars that she put aside to um, enable others to be equipped and to be healed, even if she didn't make it through. So I don't know what else to say. Is there anything else to say? <laughs> so, so we truck on. We, we journey in healing. Um, uh, we haven't given up. Uh, it's one of the core values uh, of Freedom Church, doing the supernatural and um, particularly as focused into, into uh, um, healing. And um, uh, not everyone gets there, but the issue is, are we going to trust God or am I not going to trust God? Is his word more valid than my circumstances? Or is it not and so we put our faith in the words of jesus rather than in what's in front of our eyes so um i said to phil um this is not this is not a seminar this is a market so i wrote a book last year (laughs) so it's it's not about the journey with Jane it's not it's not about that although that gets a mention but it's not, it's not about that um, but it provides some of the biblical foundation for the journey that we're on in terms of doing the supernatural it's called 50 days that transform the universe and it's a theological unpicking of biblical unpicking of the 50 days between Good Friday and Pentecost and all the, those four major events in that period so it's half a dozen copies down there. Um, if there's more people want the book than the copies, there's more where they came from. And there's a slip inside that you can use for internet payment, or if you want to leave cash, that's fine and um, we'll sort it out. So thank you. It's been good to come and share with you. Yeah,
1: can I ask you a couple of questions before you, thank you. go? On to? I just wanted to ask you, with what you were going through with your daughter, because we're going to look at that a little bit now. What were some of the anchor points that you held on to? Turn it Yeah. How's that? Coming through. Yep. Here we go. So what? I mean, obviously, it's ridiculously hard what you and your wife and family went through. And it, you know when you go through things like that, it can, help, it can try and reshape your understanding of God and life. What were some of the kind of anchor points that you held on to to kind of "This is what I know to be true and get, getting you through those tougher times
0: So like I said, I think the key anchor point was the scripture, because the scriptures uh, represent the truth, the present circumstances are just the present circumstances mm. and um, Uh, they may be hard present circumstances but um, so that was one of them Um, uh, I think um, our story our history which is a bit in the book but the story um, Maggie was um, was my wife she was um, she had many years of serious depression and we journeyed through that together Um, and she she is totally fine she's not on medication or anything like that and so nothing against medication but all I'm saying is one of the other anchor points was our experience our history Mm -hmm. in God so there's the Word of God and our journey our history with God that were key things that we could hang on to
1: cool nice were there specific specific scriptures that you just kind of found yourself in regularly or is it just there's lots that you you use to kind of battle through that well John 14 and 12 was just
0: like it's always there Jesus said we can do it we can do it yeah I mean you know, he started off by saying, I tell you the truth. You know, it's like him swearing on a stack of Bibles. This is real. This is for true. I tell you the truth. Or in the old versions, verily, verily, I say unto thee,"
1: <laughs>
0: Or whatever. So Jesus wasn't just making a passing casual comment. He was making hmm. a substantive declaration. I tell you, the, this is the truth. If you have faith in me, you can do what I do. And, and so that, that, for me, was like the major... Um, uh, scripture and then just stuff about trusting God. Uh, probably would have been better to ask Maggie this question because she's really thorough about remembering and <laughs> keeping logs and all of that sort of stuff. Oh, it just
1: drifts by for me. <laughs> cool. Oh, that's great. Thank it's you. Right? Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. I'll take that for you. Right. Cool. Let's give him another. Uh, yeah. Just thank him for coming. Question? Oh. Awesome. so good having, having Jeff here Like, we, um, some of us have been to a few of his conferences too and I think even one of the conferences that I went to um, part of the leaders thing we were at was, was paid for by his daughter who gave that money it's just such an honour to kind of you know we get a blessing from, from that amazing kind of decision what's that? heaters how cold are people now? yeah and realising it's going to get colder because the heating's broken we found out which is not great and we've got one heater at the back, so yeah. go sit next to Sally. That's a blessing. Should we get some more? Yeah, we get heaters. More heaters? Yeah. You. Oh, oh. Uh, you know. You've got a boot full of heaters? <laughs> 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 Pete's, Pete's got a boot full of heaters to sell at 20 bucks each for the highest bidder. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, Minnie's going to go grab some. Cool. All right. So we specifically wanted Jeff to come and share in this session because we want to look at some of the obstacles that get in the way of us going for healing. So it's good that you know Phil looked at how do we, you know, what's in the Bible, what's the context. But then it's like, good, that's the context. How do we then move forward? How do we then see some change um, in our own lives and and grow in this stuff? And I'd say um, a large number of Christians don't actually learn how to deal with the tension and the mystery of what happens when you believe in a good God who heals and then it doesn't happen. And often that, at that point they get hamstrung and, and faith decreases and they kind of dumb down their faith to kind of be what they, can, what they can get their head around. And that mystery and that tension actually just kind of cuts them off at the knees. Um, it's great because I'm actually looking around the room I can think of situations here where people have not let that happen or people who are in situations right now and they're still going for and believing God heals and he wants to heal which is amazing so that's one thing we can do is lower expectations and just go oh well I prayed and it didn't happen so I'm going to I'm going to relegate everything of the supernatural to to heaven you know when we get there it's going to be perfect but now it's just tough you know let's hold on let's Try and see people saved and, and believe kind of a head knowledge about the faith, but don't go for, for miracles. The other side of it is to go, well, everyone I'm going to pray for is healed. And if, you, if they, you're not healed, well, you are healed really. Um, you just didn't see it properly or you didn't have enough faith and oh, you should have had more faith and then you would have been healed. So there's this kind of like uh, another side of it, which is not being real with reality of what goes on, and almost trying to put the blame somewhere because it doesn't fit in your, in your grid of theological thinking. And I don't think that's healthy either. We need to realize that there's a, there is a kingdom now, and there's a kingdom not yet. And we need to live in that tension and realize we don't have all the answers. And um, we, we desperately want all the answers, because who doesn't? But God is happy not to give us all the answers, so we have to be happy with that. Um, I think... The, whole, the phrase kingdom now not yet can be both helpful and it is helpful but it can also be a, a sort of an excuse as well it can be like "Oh, kingdom not yet you know, we kind of go kingdom now but kingdom not yet you know, and it's like kingdom now kingdom not yet you know, we, we think it's all going to be not yet and I think we need to not look at it like that and think um, oh well, we'll just see it one day but we're not going to see it now no there's a, there's a tension like Jeff said there's a fighting for it that we want to see and do what Jesus did. And I've got that verse right here. I tell you, whoever believes in me will do greater things than I have been doing. We do greater works than I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And some people through kind of church history and different circles say, oh, well, actually Jesus says we're going to do greater things than him. So he did miracles... We're going to see greater things, which is, which is about seeing people saved. So we're going to you know, get people to know Jesus. That's the greater work. So, yeah, we're not going to do miracles. He said we're going, to do, we're going to do greater things. Well, that doesn't really fit, does it? Because he says you're going to do the works I've been doing and do greater things. And as Jeff said, if we don't know what those greater things are, that's okay. But actually, we can't ask the question or make the statement, right, well, we've seen enough and the rest is for heaven, until we get to the point where we see as much as Jesus saw... And then you can start to have that, You could start to ask that question, okay, so how much more can I see? Until that point, actually, Jesus doesn't give you permission to say, oh, this is about how much we're going to see. And I know it's not, a, it's not always a conscious thing. You don't go, all oh, right, there we go. You know, 2017, New Zealand, what we see in our church right now, that's the level. We don't consciously th- say that, but we subconsciously think, oh, this is just the norm now. But let me ask you a question. It's good music it's nice a little bit of uh i don't know southeast asian pipes is it it's good <laughs> let me ask you a question have you ever made anything needlessly hard for yourself in your life <laughs> my parents are like second son no i'm kidding <laughs> i'm a joy and a blessing so have you ever made anything too difficult for yourself and then someone comes up to you and goes mate you're seeing it way too complicated it's simple just you know this is how you need to do it, do it. Do you have people in your life who always make things too complicated? <laughs> Don't look to the left or to the right, just, just think about it. Dave. <laughs> What's that? Daily. What's that? Daily. Oh, daily. <laughs> I thought said Dave. I was like, that's a bit mean. <laughs> Funny. So I've got a friend and she, um, before she had kids, she offered to, offered to look after someone else's baby and give them the day off. And she was like, this is gonna be great. And they played at home, and you know, they're just playing with toys. And she thought, right, I'll put her in the buggy and we'll go for a stroll down by the river. So she put her in a buggy and, and tried to stroll down the river like this. Just like walking along, like ridiculously difficult. And it was on the flat. And she, she, she persevered because she thought, the mother of this child does this every day what's the problem here and she went up and down the river and was so exhausted she got home and they just were like oh, you know just kind of collapsed and and carried on playing at home until until the mother got home and she said like how do you do this I think buggies are the most awful things they're way too hard to use I don't know why people why people deal with them and the mother looked at her like what are you on? and went outside with the, the front of the house where the buggy still was and realised she'd left the brake on the whole time that she was pushing it up and down, which is ridiculous. If you try and push a buggy with a brake on, it's like, well, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty hard.
0: <laughs>
1: so have you ever made something needlessly hard for yourself and you didn't really need to? So there's another analogy that Simon Holly often used to talk about this in terms of the kingdom, and he talks about rocks in the river. So... You would know, you've you probably done this too when you were a kid or maybe not a kid, and you're at the beach and you want to change the direction of the river, you want to bank it up and build stuff and make the river go off this way. And um, When I was growing up, we always did that because my brother is just so industrious, he has to build everything, and I'm younger than him and my sister's even younger, so he'd kind of enlist us and be like, you do this, you do this, you get the sticks, you get the rocks, and so we'd always build these things. But the, the amazing thing is it doesn't actually take many rocks or many big rocks to change the whole course of a flowing river. Like it just hits it and goes, and you think this fast-flowing river has been shifted with not a lot of effort. And that's kind of like what can happen in our life. The, The kingdom coming through our life is kind of like a river that flows, you know, seeing healing, seeing miracles. Actually, it's natural that it flows, but we can get rocks in the way that block it up, that divert the course or stop it from flowing. And that's really what I want to look at um, today is, is one or two of those rocks that we can get out of the river so this stops being a theory for us and starts to become regular practice. And actually, if you think about a stream flowing naturally, let's what's that. if you think about a stream flowing naturally, it kind of sounds like a parable that Jesus shared in Mark 4. He said, A man scatters seed. He said, The kingdom is like this a man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the, corn, the soil produces the corn, and it goes through the different stages, and the harvest has come. So actually, the kingdom of God is like a fast-flowing stream, or like a harvest. It's going to grow, whether you're asleep, whether you're awake, whether you're looking at it, whether you're not. God's kingdom has a life in itself, and it will grow. And Jesus also says in Mark 4, he talks about soil. And it's like, what's the soil like? The corn will grow, but what's the soil like? And that's kind of the way I think it's helpful to look at, is not to go to God, why is your kingdom broken? Why isn't it building? You know, in Jesus' day, things happen. It doesn't happen now. God, there's something wrong. You need to check under the hood. Your kingdom's broken. It's actually saying, what's the blockage in my life that's stopping a naturally growing thing from occurring and happening in my life? and actually looking at what maybe the problem, the problem might be on our end. So what's the soil like, is the question. What, what rocks might be in our life? And I want to look at one or two, but really the main one that I want to look at uh, today is unbelief. Um, and Jesus talked about unbelief a lot, and I think, to be honest, it's one of the big ones for us, that we need to get, get it out of the river, get, uh, get the rocks out of the soil, of un, you know, unbelief rocks out of the soil, so to speak, so, that this stuff can flow and we can see the power of God come in our church and in our lives and in our families. Yep, for that. Mm. Yeah.
0: Good,
1: so, I think it's a big one for us to start with because of the worldview that we live in. So, the predominant worldview is, is a very Western scientific worldview that we live in. It's materialistic in the sense of not like everyone's going after material things. That's true, but materialistic worldview describes that's like what can be touched, what can be seen, what can be measured, what can be scientifically proven. That's the that's the framework that we try and push everything into in our lives. That's just the the world we live in. Other cultures don't have as much of a problem with this, but that's just the the, the country that we live in. So anything that doesn't fit into that. Western uh, predominant worldview that can't be measured or or, or touched or um, scientifically explained kind of gets pushed out into oh that's kind of fanciful that is uh, it's like it's an illusion it's just a power of positive thinking it doesn't it doesn't really happen and that's often the lens that we can come from when it comes to the miraculous is that it's like well actually the, most of our society most of our world, doesn't believe that the miraculous can happen. So what do we do with that? And it can really affect us. And I'm not knocking science. Um, I love it. I would count myself as someone who has a passion for science. Um, but actually, it's about what, what is the authority when it comes to your worldview. If everything has to be measured and explained in the scientific laws, actually, that's, you're putting that above God and what he says in the Bible is true about the world we live in. Because what he says is that God created the world and he created scientific laws and he made things happen and he made, you know, the earth go around the sun and and the earth is not flat. You know, (laughs) know, he he made all these, he put a world in motion so that things worked and gravity works, but actually he's a God that's bigger than that and he's happy to flip inside and out of the law, the scientific laws and do what he wants to do. So he does miracles regularly. That's what the Bible would say. The biblical worldview is God does miracles regularly and he works inside them, inside the laws as well. So it's not about knocking science or, or even pitching belief, faith against science. That's actually unhelpful. It's saying actually we have a reasoned faith and we look, we look things through, we work things through. And actually if you're in that kind of position and you're trying to grapple with those kind of questions, I'd really recommend a Tim Keller book called The Reason for God. And I was going to bring a copy. Um, it's called... Uh, you know, exploring belief for skeptics or something like that, but it just goes through about God and about faith and about Jesus and in terms of that worldview, like science and how does that stack up, and the kind of the current philosophies that we live in. but it 's about putting that worldview underneath one that says we 've got a mighty God who can do whatever he likes, whenever he wants to, and he likes doing things outside of that. But it's not just borrowed from our prevailing worldview that unbelief creeps in. It's actually, uh, it can come in through situations, a little bit like what Jeff shared about what, what he went through. Actually, we all go through things that shape what we actually believe. So on the, one, on the one scale, you've got what you say you believe. So you're like, yeah, I believe in God, I believe he's good, I believe he provides. That's like your kind of intellectual assent. That's what you agree to or you'd say you believe. But underneath that, you have core beliefs that actually shape the way you talk, the way you think, the way you relate to people, and it's really the lens of which you see the world through. So if you don't quite understand what I mean, just think about it with finances. Most Christians would say, God is my provider, and I believe for him. But actually, if you take a look at your life, or my life, and you go, well, do I get anxious about money? Do I worry about where it's coming from? Am I able to be generous? Um, Do I, you know, when the bills come up or unexpected car breaks down, does it just fill me with anxiety? That would show that although you think God is your provider on on a sort of intellectual level, deep down you don't fully believe that he's your provider. Because if you fully believe he's your provider, then actually everything becomes, nothing becomes impossible. And every time a situation comes up, you're like, well, I've got a big Father God who's going to provide for me. Money, resources, a plan of attack, he's got it all under control, so I don't need to be anxious. And so that actually tells you what you believe about God as a provider. Wow. So how, why is there a difference between what you say you believe and what you actually believe? Well, it's often it's because you've been through stuff um, or people have told you stuff. You've built a lens that actually, that actually says, I've got to fight on my own here. I've got to be self-reliant. You know, Actually, if I don't do it for myself, no one's going to. You know, I don't re- I'm, I'm my own provider. And so that gets shaped through things that you've been through. I want to take a look at a passage in Mark where some people saw Jesus and they actually got offended. They had a lack of faith, they had unbelief in their hearts because they went, actually, he doesn't stack up to what I really believe a miracle-working saviour should be. So they, what they really believed about God was challenged and instead of working through that mystery, they unbelief cropped up and an offence, they got offended at God. So you can turn in your Bibles or we can read... Straight off here. This is an ESV in Mark 6. He, that's Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Now around there you start to see a shift in the way they're talking. What, they say, is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. The NIV says he was amazed at their lack of faith, unbelief, lack of faith. So Jesus went home. He went home to where people knew him, and they knew that he grew up, they knew he was the son of Mary, they knew he was a carpenter, and in their mind they were like, this doesn't stack up. How can someone be doing the miracle workings of God, have God's anointing on him, and he just grew up and looked normal like us, from a sort of despised town, from a... um, a vocation or career that is not really that, you know, that high and mighty. They wanted grandeur, they wanted like royalty, they wanted pedigree, they wanted to be like, wow, this, this man is trained under the most famous rabbi in all the lands and, you know, he's been studying for this many years and this is where he got his wisdom from, but they were like, well, it's just your average Joe from next door who suddenly is moving in power and they were, they were offended at that. It's actually possible that when they referred to him as Mary's son, it was actually meant as an insult. Um, and that culture, sometimes referring to people by their mother was an insult, which is not great. And it's just the way that their culture was at the time. But also, possibly because of the stigma attached to his birth and the fact that he was born out of or conceived out of wedlock. And um, that might have been like a, you know, this guy is, has a morally questionable history, and suddenly he's doing the miracle workings of God. And they became offended at him the the question really the the crux of this is that god wasn't looking like he was meant to in their eyes he was meant to look like this and he looked like this and they became offended and unbelief sprang up which limited what god could do and that really begs the question for us when has god not looked like he should in your life (laughs) or when has god not done the things that you thought he would and actually, when that happens and it happens to all of us, our core cool belief system about God gets offended. If we don't deal with that offense, unbelief springs up and chokes our faith. And it might not be a conscious thing, but it's still happening. So according to this passage, unbelief can actually hinder the work of God in someone's life and actually hinder it in a, in a region or with a group of people. So some of them were saying, "How about you know, what about this?" what about where he came from what about his mother what about you know the fact he's a carpenter and it said in that in his hometown he could do no great work another translation says he could do no great work except heal a few people so that unbelief limited what he could do in that area it's quite good to note that he still could do some pretty cool stuff because healing a few people was still pretty awesome and kind of sounds like Where we come from you know (laughs) in terms of the church in our city i I think that's changing and i think we're seeing more but actually it's a good question to ask where's the unbelief and actually is the unbelief stopping us from from seeing um a great work amongst us so how does unbelief come in well it's when circumstances or events arise that call us to question god's character and how he thinks about us and what he wants to do in our lives so fb meyer who is a british evangelist he says this: "Unbelief puts our circumstances between us and God, but faith puts God between us and our circumstances." I just think that's so helpful. Are your circumstances coming between the way you understand God and His goodness and his fatherhood over you or? Are your, or is faith actually putting God between you and your circumstances, going, God, I'm not sure why. I don't know why I'm going through this thing. I'm not sure why I'm not healed yet or why the kids are away from God or whatever. But God, I'm putting you between those things and your character and what I know about you. It might not always be overt and obvious. Sometimes it's subtle in just one area of our life. So like I mentioned finance Sometimes you can be really in faith for finance. You're like, actually, no, I'm good. God is my provider. I'm stepping out. I'm doing things that I don't have the capacity for financially because I feel God's told me to and he's coming through for me and i got faith for that. But then someone might ask you, how's your relationship with your dad uh, who doesn't know the Lord? Do you have faith that he's going to come through? And you're just like, I've got nothing, no faith for that. So it can actually occur in areas of our life. We have complicated hearts, you know. So it's not just like, I believe God, I don't believe God. It's like, actually, I believe God for this, but this part of my life, there's something going on here that's diverting the course of the kingdom in this area of my life. So how does it come in? Well, often it is through disappointments. So it might be unmet expectations in your life. You thought, man, I wanted, to, I wanted to be in ministry by now, or I wanted to have kids by now, I wanted to be married by now, I wanted to have moved to this country, or got this job, or um, seen my, my family come to know Jesus by now. Those unmet expectations, disappointment can arise, and then we get offended with God. So you could argue that actually the Jews would, were actually disappointed with the pedigree they saw in Jesus. Oh, we're disappointed it came from you. You're just like my, my buddy. You're just like a cousin of mine. How did you become this miracle-working Savior? It doesn't, you know, it's like it's unmet expectations. I was expecting a Savior to swoop in and just, you know, take over the Romans and do these things, and Jesus didn't, didn't actually live up to what they wanted. It's actually better than what they wanted, but they couldn't see it. So actually when God works in ways or in packages that, that you do, can't understand, it can offend your mind. And there's a tension and a mystery you can't resolve. You either try and, if you can't resolve it, then you, you put that between you and God or you put God between that and you understanding everything. And as I said, it's not a question of when, if these things arise, it's a question of when, just to get really you know, joyful with you. You're going to encounter things that are going to come up and you're going to go, I don't understand the character of God in this situation. He's good. He's my father, but I'm going through this thing. That's going to happen to every one of us. But the question you need to ask is, how badly do you want the river of the kingdom flowing through your life so that when these things come up, you're humble enough to go, I'm going to deal with it head on and get the stuff out, get these rocks out, or are you just going to go, ah, you know, and let that offence just kind of settle in your heart. So Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul, the mighty man of God, you know, he saw so much happen in his life, so many people saved, churches established, you know, he, he was just used by God in massive ways, but even his ministry didn't work out the way he wanted it to. So at one point he says, the whole of Asia has deserted me. Imagine if you'd spent years of your life working into areas, and you saw you know, young men and women come through into leadership, and you see churches planted, and then suddenly a whole region, not just one church, a whole region turns its back on you. Imagine the disappointment you'd feel in that, all the shipwrecks, all the beatings, all the floggings, and the, the stonings, and everything he went through, but he says this, we're hard pressed, hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed. But not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. He's like, I've been through this tough stuff. I'm going through tough stuff, and yet Jesus is going to be revealed in me. And I'm not, I'm not struck down. I am struck down. I'm not destroyed. He's like, it's hard. Life's hard. You're going to go through stuff, but Jesus is with me. God's with me, and it's not the end. God's got a victory for us. What's that? That was 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10. The reason why I look so, is because it's really greyed out. It's hard to see. (laughs) So let's look at another example of someone that's alive today. So uh, Bill Johnson, um, Phil mentioned him before. He's actually been used massively in equipping the church worldwide to see just a new wave really, part of a new wave of just expectation that God's going to move in power and he's really affected my life personally. So you might think, man, someone who's moved in power that much, you know, he's just had it easy, surely. He's just been through, you know, just seen it happen. He just clicks his fingers, people are healed, churches are planted, you know, these kind of things just happen for him. But it's actually not like that. And he himself, he lost his dad to cancer, and they prayed, and, it, and, he, and he died. He lost his um, personal assistant who worked really closely with him. She died of cancer. Um, and then he, he talks about his own son, um, and I'll just—I'll read from his own words. He says this: "My oldest son Eric is 85 to 90% deaf in both ears. He has an amazing gift for life. He functions beautifully in the hearing world and has never had to learn sign language. His adjustments to life are miraculous, while his self-esteem is unaffected by this handicap. It's strong and Christ-centered. Yet he still can't hear without the assistance of a hearing aid. It's interesting that the healing of deafness." is one of the most common miracles I see in my meetings and in my church. Even more interesting to note is that Eric himself has laid hands on many people who are deaf and God has opened their ears. How does that work? He says, he says how could that happen without him being healed first? I don't know. But I do know that mental offense, stumbling over this apparent contradiction in our minds, will shut down this anointing. That is something we are not willing to do. Eric and I will continue to live with the understanding we have and embrace the mystery that we're required to live with, knowing that God is perfectly faithful and good beyond measure all the time and he's worthy of our trust. That's just amazing, isn't it? And he he talks about this because his son is now older. He leads the local team in the church where they are. He's probably late 30s early 40s, and they're on a staff team together, and they'll share stories for hours every week about miracles that are going on. They'll just fill their staff meetings with miracles and testimonies. And often, testimonies of people getting healed of deafness will come up in their meetings. Someone will share one. They'll look across the room at each other and go, that's one more. That's one more person who's got healed towards you getting healed. You know, like we're on a journey. You're going to get healed. How do you deal with that kind of tension and carry on? Well, it's because you're humble enough to go, God, my mind, and the mystery I can't live with, I can't reconcile, isn't going to be my God. God is going to be my God. And the mystery that I'm living with is going to submit to my God. You know, it's the same like, I'm not going to share in depth again. Mum and Dad will be happy I don't because they'll probably cry too. But, you know, we went through this when we had a a miscarriage. We were at 13 weeks and things were going well, things were going bad and then, you know, we were praying and God has spoken to me about this baby even before I knew this baby existed and then then we lost that baby at 13 weeks and it's like, how do you deal with this mystery? And you guys will have your own stuff. Some of it, others of us will not even be able to comprehend the pain that you've been through. And I just want to say that, like, it's valid to go through these things. It doesn't make you a lesser Christian. It doesn't mean you're sidelined from the plans of God because you've been through tough things. But it also does not give anyone, any of us, an excuse to not work that through with God and put God on this throne. Wow. And we're going we're to work through some of this because even as I talk, some of you will be thinking, oh, yep, finances, that's an area of my life I've got unbelief in. Or there's been an area of grief that's come up. You might just be thinking that. We're just going to spend some time. Jack will play for us. We'll spend some time with God and just let him love us and work through this stuff. Because he's, he's gentle and he's, he's loving. and He'll help us through this stuff. Sometimes it's just about us going, God, I'm open for it. Help me, because I want to move on. So how does unbelief affect us? Well, according to Mark 6, it limits the work of God, as we saw. According to Romans 11.20, unbelief can cut us off from the plans that God has for us. As Paul talked about the Jewish people who rejected Jesus, that cut them off from the plans God had. It's displeasing to God. uh, Hebrews 11 uh, verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Unbelief displeases God. It grieves his heart. Why? Because I think he knows that it puts a barrier between him and his children. Unbelief stops us from living in a place of God's rest. Actually, unbelief causes such anxiety in our lives because we're kind of putting ourselves back in the position of I've got to make things happen, I've got to fix this, I've got to fix my marriage, I've got to fix um, the situation with the kids or at school. And so we're putting ourselves into a place where we're the only ones who have the answers to do anything. It's a very anxious place to be. It's very stressful. Actually, when we just say, God, i I put it back in your hands, it's amazing the the peace of God that comes. And I'm believing he's going to bring his peace just as we pray in a minute. Because if we invite it, he always comes. (laughs) It's good like that how do you recognize unbelief here's a lovely checklist we're going to go through it's just uplifting and come away thinking amazing now that's helpful it's so helpful number one so you can go through these you can check them off you can say to your neighbor oh, yeah, I got seven out of ten or whatever but these are just ways that you can identify hey I think I've got some unbelief and that means God wants to help me work through it number one I find myself being disappointed Even offended that God doesn't seem to work as I believe he should or to answer my prayers the way I like. Number two, when I hear of others' experiences of God's power, presence, answered prayer, I'm sceptical. My usual first reaction is to try and analyse or disprove their claims. I tend to be suspicious of others. I doubt that God really speaks to or uses others as they claim because I don't see him speaking to me or using me in those ways. I first perceive people and situations as impossible rather than possible with God. Prayer is usually a last resort for me. I try and figure things out or work them out for myself first. We've all been there, haven't we? (laughs) Let's not stay there. (laughs) My dreams and desires have shrunk or changed to, to, to things that I can achieve on my own. Whereas I used to have bigger aspirations that needed God. I think this is a big one that I realized recently. And I find myself, I'm very much a future thinker. I'm always like trying to plan ahead and thinking about what, what could happen. Sometimes I find myself thinking, <laughs> yeah I do, I find myself thinking, oh man I, should, I could do this now because uh, you know things that I could try and achieve on my own strength rather than what were the things I used to be dreaming for that required God or bust? If God doesn't show up, it's not going to happen. If your dreams are getting come down to the level of where you think your gifting's at, it's, it's a bit of a signpost that, that maybe unbelief has come in. I get anxious when it comes to provision, money, resources, future plans, etc. My actions would indicate that I believe God helps those who help themselves. I think my situations, my sins, my fears, my marriage, my spiritual life... My fill-in-the-blank will never change. Most of those, some of those, probably about 70% I got from uh, Simon Holly, who's just, he just is a helpful way of just helping us to kind of realize, hey, there might be an issue here, you know? And it's not like, oh, let's just condemn who's got most of them. Who's got all of them? Probably me. Well, actually, it's about saying to God, okay, God, you're you're highlighting some stuff because you want me to move on in faith. Let's, Let's work through this together loving Papa God, and he'll help us with that. In fact, I just want to take a second now just to pray, just stay, just where you are, I just want you to ask God, God, does any of that relate to me? Father, we just want to thank you that you are passionate about you being at the centre of our lives and, and and God in our lives, Lord King in our lives. We just pray, Lord, come and speak to us if we have any of those things that are just kind of blaring at us like yep here's a here's a thing i want to work with lord we just thank you that actually you bring things up in your time for you to deal with lord and we don't have to try and fix ourselves we just come to you the great the great discipler the great healer so lord show us anything that that you're putting your finger on lord jesus thank you lord amen So obviously disappointment, we've talked about, is quite a big part of this. Often what happens is we go through stuff and we kind of gloss over busyness of life and we kind of like, we don't really know how to process that with God. We often come from a sort of um, mind frame, I'm not exactly sure why, but where we, we tend to try and mask when we speak to God and kind of tell him the things we think he wants to hear or talk to him in ways that, that we think he, he wants as opposed to coming to God who is our dad, he knows everything about us, take the masks down, just tell him as it is. Some people are really good at this. I don't think I'm naturally good at it, but I've learned over time that I need to just be, be really honest with God. But where we don't do that, sometimes things can grow and we just need space to deal with it and get it out in the open and God to help us with that. The Psalms are like that. David was so good at this. He went through some terrible times. You read the Psalms, as you're like, David, you can't say that to God. That's intense. You know, my God, my God, you've forsaken me. You know, you think, that's pretty accusatory language. But it's in the Bible, <laughs> you know, and he got away with it. And, and he, he knew God and he dealt with stuff. And so actually it's really good to read the Psalms until you hear your own issues come up, your own way of thinking with God. You're like, there we are, Psalm 36 or whatever. I'm just going to stay in that place and read it and let it help me express what I feel to God. And the safety of the scripture is so good. Okay, how do we deal with unbelief and disappointment in our lives? Number one, ask God where it's coming from. You might know. You might be living in a situation right now. You're like, I know where it's coming from. I'm living in a place where I need more of God. But actually sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you just have this sense of like, I just feel like I can't believe God for big stuff. I feel like I'm hamstrung in my faith and I'm not sure where it's coming from. You know, it's not rocket science to ask God and believe he'll speak to you. It's, it's, um, it's just a helpful thing to do to begin with. The second thing here is get honest with God about it. Get gut level raw with God. Get rid of the religious pretense, already masks where you think, oh, I can't say that, I'm not sure. You know, I want to try and hide this from God. He's an all-knowing, mighty powerful God, and you can't hide from him, so don't try for your sake. It doesn't help. Actually, rigorous honesty with God is so vital. When we were going through our um, miscarriage, I made a, made a pact with God. I made a decision. I, whenever things bubble up in me, that just it's pain, it's, it's just questions. I take myself away and I get just between me and God and I just tell him what it is. I express any of the emotions that are bubbling up. Don't make up emotions that aren't there. Just tell him how it is and then go back to what I, whatever I was doing. I lose sleep over it sometimes because it happens when you're about to go to bed and I'm like, no, this is more important. I've got to deal with this. Or it might be awkward because you're like, hey, you know, we're watching a movie together, but sorry, I've just got to go off and you just start, you know, go shut the door and talk to God for 30 minutes or 10 minutes. But I would encourage you to make a pact. When things bubble up, don't go, oh, that's strange. I'm going to carry on with my busy day and let it, let it just sit there. Go, God, I'm going to get away and just talk to you about this. It's important to talk to people, you know. It is important we need to get with people we need to be authentic and real but that is so secondary to talking to to god who's our primary relationship he's the one that we need to come to and and deal with this stuff with do it out loud it's really helpful because it stops you from letting yourself off the hook have you ever tried to ever verbalize what you're thinking and you're like Okay, so if I just, you know, I'm just, pretend pretend I'm praying. You're like, God, thank you so much for my day. Man, I'm hungry and I would really like a pizza. Man, I need to vacuum that piece of the carpet. Uh, What am I doing tomorrow? Oh, yeah, I've got that task. Lord, thank you so much for my day. You know, you just, you go everywhere in your mind, don't you? Is it just just me? me. Anyone else? (laughs) Yeah. Good, good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Pray for me. (laughs) Minnie's like, no, I don't have that, because I'm the one who's just like... Everywhere. Just one thing at a time. When you verbalise it, you don't do that because it sounded ridiculous when I did it. So verbalise what you're going through with God because it stops you from just kind of getting distracted and letting yourself off the hook, so to speak. Let your emotions be engaged. You know, emotions aren't bad things. Sometimes we think they're bad. Sometimes we think we put them too high a pedestal. Like, if you're not crying, you're not dealing with God. You know, like... That's unhelpful. Both sides of that are unhelpful. Emotions are a signpost of what's going on inside you and they're to be expressed when they come up and you deal with them. You don't make up stuff that's there. You don't think, oh, I've got to be dealing with looking like the person next to me. They might be laughing. You might be crying. Who cares? It's all good. But when they come up, don't push them down. Deal with them before God. New Zealand men, deal with them before God. <laughs> Dutch, are they good or bad at it? are you good at it Jan will lay hands on us all at the end and give us the anointing of dealing with emotions in a Dutch style (laughs) if it's yeah yeah, then we'll do deliverance cool so the next thing we do is this we repent of any lies that surface when you verbalise with God you hear yourself say things that you know aren't true Say them anyway. Don't think, well, I can't say that because it's not true to God. Don't put a mask up. Say it and then clock it in your mind. Hey, I'm actually believing a lie somewhere deep down inside and then deal with it at this stage. Repentance, as Pete said at the start, it's about changing the way you think. It's not always, it's not a kind of like you must repent because, you know, God is heavy. It's about actually just changing the way you think. God, I don't believe that you provide for my finances i repent of that god i, I repent of thinking you don't provide and i accept the truth that you're a loving god who's got my back who gives me everything i need so you repent of of lies so it might be skepticism or mistrust of god it might actually be a victim mentality often when you go through things you can develop a victim mentality where you're like i'm just a product of other people's bad decisions Even I'm a product of my own bad decisions. It's still a victim mentality. No, you're a child of God. You're a product of his love for you. He he won you at the cross. No matter what bad mistakes anyone else made or you made in the past, that actually doesn't define who you are anymore. So you need to repent of that and think, I'm not overlooked by God. I'm not bottom of the pile. Actually, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Thank God for the truth. So when lies come up, express them, tell God, this is what it feels like. It feels like you've left me. God, it feels like you're not in this situation. And then say, God, once you've dealt with that, the emotions are out, then you say, God, I repent of thinking that you've left me. But don't miss out the middle step. Come back to it and go, God, I repent of that. God, the truth is, I thank you that you're always with me. Even if I can't feel it, you're with me. Forgive. Often when we ask God where things come from, there might be other people involved and you might think, I need to forgive my mum, I need to forgive my boss, I need to forgive myself. Um, Often we hold ourselves to a high standard. We go, look, I'm just going to release myself from holding myself to the standard. God is not holding me to that anymore. He's forgiven me. So I'm going to release myself. We don't forgive God because he never does anything wrong, but we can hold bitterness against him. It's kind of like unforgiveness in one sense where we hold him to something and say, God, I'm not going to hold you to anything. Because I'm not God, you are. And the last one is this. Oh, no. The third to last one is, allow God to speak to you specifically. So thank God for truth, general truth. But if there's something that's come up, a memory or a situation, say, God, what were you thinking or doing in that situation? And just allow him to speak. And man, countless times I've prayed with people, whether it's healing prayer, because a lot of this is what we do in healing prayer, or else other places, where you... Um, you ask people, okay, ask God what he thought about that terrible thing that happened, and sometimes you just see a smile on people's face, you just sense the peace of God come in the room, and they're like, ha, huh, just, God just told me what happened. So Wendy was sharing with us a long time ago that she had a thing that she worked through where she knocked her water over at the dinner table, and her dad just blew up at her for it, like got right in her face, and that affected the way she trusted God, because God told her there was a connection between that, and she kind of felt like God was always going to blow up at her. So God brought the memory back, and she said, God, what did, what did you do in that circumstance? What were you saying in that moment? And God showed her a picture of him sitting next to her at the table. She knocks her water glass over, and he just goes, and knocks his over. Because he's like, it's water, who cares? You know, God's like lighthearted. He, just, you know, he brings things back to reality, which is like, it's water. Don't worry about it. You can trust me, I'm your, I'm your, I'm your father. So God will often speak through ways that just unlock you. Second to last thing, lay down your right to understand. Say, God, I don't understand, but that's okay. I'm going to live with that and I'm going to believe the truth about you and I I just don't have the answers. Maybe one day I will, maybe one day I won't, but I don't have a right to know that, to know every question, every answer, every question. The last thing is anchor yourself to God's character and your identity. So no matter what you're going through, God is your father. God is good all the time. There's no shadow or change in him. He's the father of lights. You are his loved child. See what love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. He will use what you're going through for good even if he wasn't the originator of bad things. Romans 8:28. He has great plans for you. He doesn't lie and he's trustworthy. And you are a child, you're adopted into the family. These are things that we need to get right down into our heart and then we live in that place when we go through, go through tricky times. Because you might not have the questions to all the answers, but you can be darn sure that God will give you, give you the answers to the questions that He wants you to know. And the important stuff, He'll give you what you need. And you can live in that place. You can base your life off those truths of a good God, a Father God, and your identity in Christ and and adopted in there, in him. Great. Why don't we just stand up? Let's just allow God to, to meet with us. Thanks, Jack. So obviously we just looked at one rock. You know, there are lots of other things, but that's okay. I just felt God say to highlight this one. I feel like it's something that he wants to work through with us in our hearts. And I just feel like it is one of the major ones where if we can just learn to work through unbelief, actually, we're going to see some breakthrough. Yep. We want to see some breakthrough in our church, don't we? We want to see some healings. We want to see salvation. We want to see the lost coming in to know him and use us because God's going to answer our prayers. God, do more, save more people. And he's going to use us to do that as we're immobilized and the rocks are out of the river. So, Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that you're a good God. Regardless of whether right now we feel like we're right in the, in the storm or whether we feel pretty peaceful about life, the truth is that you are good and you are our Father. You have great plans. And you know all the answers and we trust you, Lord. And Lord, I want to thank you that what Phil shared about the authority and commission, that's something you want to go deep into it, every single one of our hearts, Lord. That's the river flowing. Lord, and I, we want to get the rocks out so that your river can flow, Lord Jesus. But yes. we want to be used for great works of power, Father God. And Lord, I know there are situations around the room, and I know there are many I don't know. Lord, there's unbelief that we just, we just say humbly and peacefully, Lord, in the next few minutes, will you come and deal with some unbelief in our hearts, Lord Jesus? If you feel the same way, just say in your heart, but Lord, I'm open right now for you to highlight anything. Lord, for you to put your finger on. I'm not going to go digging, Lord, but you can highlight anything that you want to deal with and get rid of unbelief in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just put your heart into a position of, of just listening, of just receiving. My Father is here. He favours you. He loves you. Thank you God. Whether you're doing well or you don't feel like you're doing well, His yep. favour is here. Just receive that for a moment. Receive His love. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord.